to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> Welcome to the Built on Air podcast. I need to share my screen. It's like I've never done this before. <laughs> we are live and we are in our final episode of the season. Just one second here. Let me get my screen up. We are newbies. There we go. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast, season 14, episode 8, final episode of the season. We'll be off for a month and then we'll be back in July. So good to be with you one final time before we take a little break. We have with us our regular Jen Rudd. Welcome back, Jen. Thanks for having me again, Dan. Yep, good to have you. And we've got Camille again, as always. Um, I believe Allie is out with COVID, unfortunately, this oh, week. So she's recovering from that. And so hopefully she is back healthy soon um, here shortly. So let's get started. So we always uh, do an hour-long episode talking about all things Airtable. I'll run you through what we're going to be doing today. We'll start, as always, with our Round the Bases, keep you up to date on the world of Airtable, and then a quick shout out to Ontoware, our primary sponsor. Then Jen Rudd is going to walk through how Airtable is used in the nonprofit world. And then Camille is going to walk through a base that she is working on for a tabletop role-playing game. I had to Google what TTRPG meant, so now I know. And we know a little bit more about Camille, what she does on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I'm so cool. That's right. That's right. That'll be fun. And then a quick shout out to join our community. And then finally, I'll walk through a question on dealing with scripting and views that came from the Built on Air community. So let's start off with our Around the Bases. There was um, one announcement that came out last week improvement to timeline views. So Alex um, walks us through some enhancements. Um, I have not had a chance to play with these. Any, anybody play with these yet? No, I thought uh, the overlap of the things were pretty cool though. 
the overlap of the light bulbs. Yeah, I've, I've seen them in action and they are pretty useful. I was working on a, a timeline that had um, episode releases and depending on like, if it's a movie, there's only one episode, but if it's, you know, a show, it might have 10 episodes. And so it would like, you could fit the whole label on a show, but you couldn't for a movie and you'd never know what the name of the movie is. Well, now you can, because it just goes past where that block ends. Um, so I, I think it's pretty useful. There's, um, you know, it seems pretty consistent in what I've seen. Also, if you continue to scroll, you can kind of see it in this um, screenshot, but like if you have a really long bar and you like scroll along it, yeah, it will stick with you. So you always know what it's called, even if like the beginning isn't on screen anymore. Yeah, so it'll show it like that right there, yeah. Cool, so nice little uh, enhancements to the timeline. It's good to know they're still working on those those uh, widgets. And uh, yeah, nice nice enhancement there. Um, that was the only, I think that was the only like kind of product announcement that I saw this last week. Um, so that's the only thing that, that came out. Of, well, I, actually I take that back. There was one more um, that came from Russell in the built-on air community. Um, seeing the data library feature starting to be rolled out. So we talked about this the last two weeks or so of um, they've announced the, the data library, the verified data, and it looks like that's starting to roll out more and more. Um, and so that's cool to see. I have not yet played with it. I need to, I need to start playing with this. So I could be wrong, but in Russell's post, he says he wishes he had a way to replace old syncs with the new masters. I think because it's the same source, you don't do anything um, unless it's like syncing, like his old sync is synced from a similar data set that wasn't the one that was published. Um, I think if your old syncs are using the same view, that was added to the data library, there's nothing different that you need to do because it really is just a shared link. It's just like a shortcut to get there faster. Um, I could be wrong, but that was my understanding of what it is. So explain that more, I'm not quite getting that. So we have regular shared views that you can sync into other bases. And it sounds like Russell has um, multiple synced tables set up somewhere. But then now he's published to his data library one source that says current team and partners and one that says clients. If he has any existing syncs that are syncing from the same source as the client's data library or the current team and partners data library, I think it's technically already connected because it's coming from the same source. I don't think there's any distinction. It doesn't like take your data and put it somewhere special, it just sort of surfaces those shared links, you know, up top. So you don't have to like find the, the link or search by base and then by table and then by view. Um, I could be wrong, but that is, that's how I've been understanding them, that your old things are just the same. So basically in order to get something into the data library, you're essentially sharing it the same way that you would to sync yeah. a table? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. 
So yeah, so so the data library is really kind of more just a, a view of what's been shared. Yeah, it's a it's a condensed view of like of your shared links, and it's supposed to be just the stuff that like you're going to add to all of your bases or most of your bases, such as a list of clients. That's going to be one list that you're probably going to use all over the place. So rather than finding, you know a list of clients every single time you create a new base, it's just an option under like add new table, okay, clients. And you already know it's pulling from the correct base and um, view. That's the idea. So is this different than the verified data feature? It, it It's the same. So um, you have your data library, which can contain any number of, there's probably some limit, any number of uh, shared views, and some of those can be verified. If they're verified, they'll get a little check mark. And the purpose of verifying them is like, um, I guess this makes more sense on enterprise plans. If you have like um, a, the your over overall company might have a list of clients, but an individual department might only have their list of clients, which is a subset your overall company is going to verify like the one, the overall one. And that's the one that gets the check marks versus clients dash marketing or clients dash accounting or something like that. So you can tell the difference on departments. Alternatively, you could do it the other way around where it's the general, all clients, and then your department, you can have a different set of verified data than the accounting department. So my list of clients gets the check mark and then um, accounting departments doesn't. So I, you know, I know, oh, I want this one. I'm in the marketing team. I want the marketing team's verified data set. Gotcha. So just okay. controlling downstream versions of the data based yeah. or upstream, depending on how you're viewing the data. Yeah. It's trying to limit daisy chaining of synced from A to B to C to D. It's like D is synced from A now. That's the hope. Got it. Very good. Okay. So there isn't, in order to get data into the verified data, it still resides in kind of a normal base and table, and then you share it and then click a checkbox saying it's verified? Yes. Okay. Ideally, I haven't seen this. I, I would love it if once you share a link, just in general, it gets like an icon next to it in the, the base when you're viewing it. Um, we sort of add a lightning bolt to the name of the view to remind ourselves, but it'd be helpful if there was an icon that appeared automatically. And then if it's a verified or a synced data that gets its own, you know, icon that, that shows the difference, it'd be really helpful if you could see that at the base level. Otherwise, yeah. you have to go to your admin panel or something like that. Interesting, interesting. For some reason, the vision I thought when they were talking about this verified data feature, I was thinking you would go to some different UI outside of like a base to kind of create your verified global data. Um, but it sounds like it just works like all the other bases. Yeah, you can view it in like you have in your settings panel, your account settings or your admin panel. There's a different place to look at them all, but to create them, you just start like any other shared view. Okay, very good. That's helpful. We need to dig into that. <clears throat> all right, but yeah, it looks like that's uh, starting to get rolled out um, to enterprise for now and good stuff there. Okay, a couple other from the built-on-air Slack. Um, let's see. 
this question was, does anyone know if there's a way to sync an updated field in Airtable to update a cell in Excel? Um, not natively. Mm, I'm trying to remember why I picked this. I don't think this is the one that I was planning to pick because this is kind of a, just a straightforward, um, nothing too exciting about this one. So anyways, if you're trying to, to link um, Airtable to Excel, I think there was a different one I was trying to link to. Oh, this is it. Leprechauns. It was this one. I picked, I had the wrong thread in my link. Uh, this was the one. Um, our Airtable webhooks counted against your automation runs. Um, can't seem to find documentation on this except to uh, do that. So, um, so just kind of explaining how how automation. So basically, if an automation, if you're using automations to start a, or excuse me, if you're using webhooks to start an automation, then that that counts as an automation run. So however many times you you hit that webhook will count as one automation run per execution. Right, because it's processing that data for them. So, yeah. But if you yeah, have a yeah. webhook that triggers a make scenario, that's not an automation run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you're hitting out somewhere else, so. And then Scott uh, clarifies that if you use, uh, there's a automation trigger for webhook received. That obviously is an automation run because that is triggering that automation. And then separate from that, there's different webhooks that you can set up that are like, you know, related to the base and those aren't automations. Yep. And this was actually the one I, that I wanted. Sorry, took me three wow. times, but this is the one I wanted. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, so Carlson asks um, the largest output that you can have in a calculated formula. Um, so I was thinking about this. I've never pushed the limits on this. It looks like others have. Josh says he's gotten to 9,000. Bill has hit 100,000. So if you have a formula that's generating like a lot of output, I know the, the um, long text field has a limit of 100,000 characters, um, but I've never pushed the limit on the formula output. Um, so it looks like a hundred thousand somewhere in there. Have you ever tested that? Uh, no, but I have a couple of different implementations that sort of log a history of record changes in a, a long text field in the form of JSON. And I sure hope it never gets to <laughs> this level because I've, I've tried to do it as compactly as possible, but I, yeah, I was under the impression that it's some thousand amount of um, characters. And if it ever gets to that level, then we should be tracking it that way anyway, I don't think. Yeah, I've had some yeah. roll-ups of roll-ups of roll-ups, and it gets pretty gnarly, but I haven't hit the 100K yet. But I have maxed out the Google Doc automation multiple times, so that was fun. <laughs> of how much text how much you data you can push in or like how many how many um, fields you can push in or how much text you can put in so finally we had to do something crazy i can't remember what we did but it was like definitely there's like a limit to what you can push into a google doc basically interesting yeah i don't know what yeah i don't know what our limit is with onto air um if we've hit that limit with pushing data in I, i'm not sure <clears throat> we'll have to test that 
Cool. Yeah. So there are definitely limits. Um, somebody, if you want to, ex if you want to let us know what, what the max is, if you can get over a hundred K, uh, beat, uh, Bill's output, that would be great. <clears throat> We're going to keep on the theme of limits. So here's another one. I, uh, there's lots of people talking about limits, limits that like, Probably if you're hitting these limits, there might be other ways to, to do things. Here's another one. So with URL pre-fills um, of um, how much you can put in the URL to like pre-fill a form field. Mm -hmm. um, so browsers do have some limits sometimes, like it's, it's a lot. So depending on your browser, um, there might be limits, but it looks like the form Airtable form itself has a has a sixteen thousand character limit, um, and that's what that's what Scott says is mentioned in the support docs. That's the other. So, that's pretty. That's a lot. It's, it's not a small. Yeah. It's a URL. Yeah, I think the problem is I have problems even with Jot form where people will drop part of the URL just like when they click on something, even though it's a hidden URL. Mm -hmm. So having pre-filled forms is probably not like good long-term just because I, I run into issues inconsistently where the pre-fills just drop off and you just have the raw form and now you've exposed all your data. So, you know, using a, a third-party form like onto air, <laughs> sometimes that pre-fills with uh, just a random string instead of these 1,600 or 16,000 characters might be a better solution if you're trying to push the limits because something inevitably dropped off and you're just not filling the data the right way. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, um, yeah. And then you got to worry about like encoding that, that long text, make sure you don't have any funky characters in there that could, that could cause some damage. So yeah, I typically try to avoid, that's one of the cool things about onto air docs or, uh, forms is if your data is already in Airtable, you don't have to pre-fill it into the URL. You can, you can actually, uh, one of the cool features is you can actually use a record ID as your as your template for your default values. So, so if you just put that long text into a random record and then just use the record ID as your as your placeholder, it will then pull all the values from that record and and use those as your as your default values. So that's kind of a cool feature. And make it so they can't edit anything. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then you can make them read only. <clears throat> yep. So anyways, more limits. Um, somebody should collect. Maybe we should do that of like just every limit possible of Airtable. That would be a nice resource to have. <laughs> Maybe Scott will do that. <clears throat> so we're, we're continuing with uh, the Airtable forums. Um, this was a really good article by a friend of the show, Kavan. Um, just talking about the different roles and jobs um, related to Airtable. And so if you're thinking about, I like Airtable, what are some things that I could do for a career in Airtable? This is a really good, just kind of, just, just breaking out all the different things that you could do in different roles and, and people have some questions about that and how people got into it. Um, so we're checking out if, if that's of interest to you. And yeah, we've got a couple representative in this group as well amongst here. 
All right, last one. Uh, continuing last week, if you didn't catch last week's show, it was all about AI. And um, we had Bill French along with uh, Lorenzo Lee talking about Airtable and AI in the future. Um, so Bill uh, continued with that theme and, and wrote uh, a good article um, on the Airtable forums talking about um, an AI-first mind, mindset and mindfulness um, and how that can help you in, in your career. Um, and so uses Airtable as an example of, you know, kind of using AI instead of maybe regex and the differences between those two approaches and where AI can, can take things up a notch um, from there. So good, uh, good, good article if you want to div, dive deeper into that, that world of AI. All right, I believe that is all we had. Any other news that you guys can think of? Not that I can recall. Okay. It's a long weekend it's, coming back from, so. I know, I know. It was a long weekend, yeah, so our table probably didn't uh, push anything. Maybe this week there will be some some pushes. Definitely over the next four weeks while we're, while we're out, um, there hopefully will be some announcements made that we'll review when we get back. Okay, check out uh, ontoair.com if you are running your business on Airtable. It's a suite of tools and apps that help you do more with your Airtable. Um, if you rely on your business within Airtable, then you definitely need to check out the, the suite of apps that Airtable provides. Uh, for today, we're gonna highlight a um, case study that we just put out. Hannah finished this. Um, walking through with one of our customers that uses onto our forms for a grassroots grocery. Um, pretty cool use case. So um, it's called, uh, well, I guess grassroots grocery is, is what it's called. Dan um, Zotter is the executive director. And this case study walks through how they use onto our forms and Airtable to um, set up groceries that can that can help families every Saturday they kind of have a an event and the people fill out what they need through the forms and they track everything in Airtable so they have 3,000 volunteers fresh um, produce that gets distributed to families in need um, so pretty cool stuff and he used a partner um, give a shout out to Mecca Parker at uh, Park West Digital that that helped him set this all up and um, has been using onto our forms as has Jen Rudd as well. I know we've done a case study with Jen. Uh, so this is a new one. So check out onto our forms. If you have a need for collecting data and getting it into our table and also updating that data as well and check out this case study to see how they've done that. So that's a good theme for today. More, more nonprofits. <clears throat> using Airtable. All right, with that, Jen, why don't you uh, share what you've got for us today? Absolutely, let me see. Share screen. Okay, you can see my screen? Yes. yes. Okay, I have this over here. 
Um, so I work with a lot of nonprofits and one of the biggest um, things that nonprofits have to do is share their impact, um, meaning they have to say what the activities that they're doing and how it's impacting those they have set out to work with, um, whether they're working with um, underprivileged children or, you know, different um, parts of the country or the world that need assistance. Um, sometimes we have to make sure that we're tracking the activities that they're doing and then also the impact that they're doing. So a lot of what nonprofits do is reporting. Um, it's nice to get money from funders, but then you have to tell them what you're doing with that money um, on in addition to what you're actually trying to um, do as your activities. So what I did today was just kind of demo what it would look like to create a report from the activities that you're doing within an organization. So basically I created this simple base, which has a table of activities and then attendees, which are people that would be coming to, if it was like a, um, uh, I can't think of the word, if they're like coming to a symposium to talk about what the, the, the nonprofit is doing, you can have different um, attendees that you would keep track of. You also wanna figure out, um, usually nonprofits have a couple different focus areas or attendance of things that they're doing. So being able to track both the activities of what they're doing to those focus areas so they can tie them back to the reporting is really helpful. And then also, especially if you have people interacting with the organization, sometimes you wanna have an evaluation of these activities. So basically what I did here is I created an activity table which keeps track of the activity name, any notes on it, the attendees, the activity date, the location, um, what the focus area is, and then also a place to keep track of all of these evaluations. And also there's some other information that they might need to have, maybe who the actual act, um, attendees are, but also maybe the number of attendees that are coming to this um, activity or event. Um, and so basically we're doing this because we want to be able to generate a report by tracking who's coming to the event and their evaluations for this event. So we have an event here, which is like this global partner meeting. And we can add um, different people. And I just use a random person generator <laughs> to add a bunch of attendees. Um, and you can see that I'm using a count um, field here, which just tells me the number of um, attendees that are attached to this, um, this particular activity. If you wanted to also keep track of attendance, you can also roll this up and say only um, count the number of attendees who actually attended the events. You might have invited 150 and only eight showed up. So it's good to have those differentials of both who was invited and possibly also who actually attended um, just for your reporting metrics and so forth. So then we have these attendees and we have this evaluation. And we tried to make the evaluation very generic because you wanted to use it for multiple activities. You might have different evaluation forms based on what type of activity they're doing, whether it's a meeting, a symposium, um, a small group session, or if someone's coming to an event that you put on um, as the foundation. So basically, I just did a very general evaluation form that we can use over and over again for any um, activity that someone attends. And here we're just linking the activity, the attendee, their overall experience, key takeaways, maybe some suggestions for the next event, and would you recommend to others? Then for the attendees, I just, just we talked about, pre-filled the attendee name into the form um, so that when somebody gets this link, so for example, this is for Moana, you'll see that the um, attendee has disappeared because we pre-filled their name. I and think we're we're only seeing your Airtable. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Share this tab. Better? All right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so basically, here, if you look at the URL, I pre filled the attendee's name with the record ID, which also is helpful. We, so we, can't, we can't see the we URL. Can't see that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me try Share one more time. You share the window. <clears throat> share screen. Click on the window. Tab. Got it. I'm smart. <laughs> Only had one copy this morning. Okay. Can you see my? Um... Yep. Okay. So if you look at the URL, I pre filled the record ID, and that's because sometimes people change their names um, or you have placeholders. So it's always good to use, um, you can use a person's name. But just because to Dan's point about encoding URLs and so forth, uh, um, an ID, a record ID string is an actual string. So it's much easier to add to a URL. You don't have to worry about encoding or weird characters. And it's also just shorter, theoretically. Um, so it also lets them know. It also, if someone's looking at the URL, they're not seeing, oh, that's my name. Maybe if I delete this, if they're nosy, um, then they can expose all of the attendee um, information. So you're exposing your entire base. So if I was to... Just take out this prefill and oh, um, here you'll see that you can now pick from an attendee list, which you may not want to expose to people in general. So that's why we use prefills a lot is to hide the data from people without um, exposing the information. So we're just going to do Milana here and then we're going to pick the activity. In the activity, what I did was I created a view which says, okay, only show me um, the events that happen in the next 10 days so they don't have a huge list to pick from so they can't pick the wrong one. So whenever you have prefills or just forms that you want people to fill out, the more that you fill it out for them or restrict what they can pick, the less chances they have variables to make changes. So here we have the global partner meeting. They do the overall experience, their key takeaways suggestions for next events, and then would you recommend to others? So when somebody submits that form in the evaluations tab, it gets linked to that attendee. And then basically what I did was, I use this a lot for um, nonprofits, is to roll up the information that is coming from different fields. And I'm also adding this new line, new line. So basically it breaks up the information. So it'll say, you know, overall experience, colon, overall experience, and then number of stars, and so forth. So when it creates this output, when it's just a single line text, you see it as a long string. But here you could see it as broken up, like, like a normal person would type it out, you would say their overall experience is five stars, here's are key takeaways. So you have these variables from different people, but it's formatted in a way that you can add it to a report. So then what I then did, is I have a roll-up about that formula field from the evaluation. So I'm able to array join the values, which just means take everything, and then separate each, each um, report output with two lines. So it then again looks like this, as opposed to you know really ugly and so forth. So it allows you to kind of break up the information in a way that would make sense for a report. And the reason I did it this way is that because instead of somebody typing out all those responses, I can now go into Google Docs and create a document with the um, activity name, the date formatted. I just did it because when you put a date in Airtable, 
Um, it shows up with that really long string. So this is just more human readable. And then I have the, you know, the written information focus area, and it gives me the focus area fields, number of attendees, and then the feedback, which is that report output. So then the automation is turned on. We're going to live demo, and we're going to wait for it to um, update. And so whenever I do automations where I have like reports generated and so forth, I just clear out this checkbox. Um, and especially if you want to make sure that all the information is filled in before you generate the report, it's always good to have a checkbox as opposed to just all the criteria is met. It's just a user saying, okay, go ahead and generate that report. I generated the report and see it has the title of the event, the date, and then it also gives some of that information. And so this is really basic, but what you can do is do some of the formatting in Google Docs. You can make this bold, you can change this to header one. And it's always good to kind of change it, paragraph, and so forth. Um, so when you do a new output, it's not going to run because I'm demoing live. Yeah, Airtable's right. been a little slow this morning. It's okay, it's working. All right, so then if I go back and see the data now. So now you can add a little bit of formatting. When you're using rollups, you can't roll, you can't format rollups, which is the only downside, which is one of the things I'm running into as I'm generating like this really, really long report um, for um, a professional um, organization. They have all of this report language that they already have written. So basically we just take that um, they select which report language they want to use, and then we output it into a Google Doc, and they can further format and add to it in um, a Word doc afterwards. But we're taking does, all of God? Does the, it takes Markdown, right? The, um, the window for um, in, inserting content into the Google Docs? It does, but it, it's, it doesn't really take Markdown necessarily. I tried different uh, Markdown outputs and it just doesn't really, it basically whatever the formatting here, mm -hmm. I'm happy to try Markdown. So like, cause I was running into this when I was trying to do a link. So like uh, link here. Also, whenever you have a Google doc or some of those docs where they have the weird formatting in a place where you can have um, Markdown. So if there's like an underscore or things like that, it totally breaks Airtable um, fields and so forth. It's really annoying. So sometimes I have to shorten the links again. Let's see. Nope. Well, we tried. We tried. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 helpful for like the first cut. Like so a lot of this, like if you just need an output, it's kind of fine. Um, but you can always do third parties to make it prettier, like documents. I've done a lot of reporting with documents for some nonprofits. So it's really helpful um to use third parties. But I think the more that you can at least structure how you want responses or you have structure how you want the format of all of these reports to come in and then request information or set up information in Airtable in such a way that lends itself to that output, the less time the team members can be like typing reports and doing 
the administrative stuff that's really helpful that actually helps to, to generate more funding, but it also helps them focus more on driving impact than reporting on that impact. So, but then I've shown like six or seven people <laughs> how to do the, um, just the basic reporting output. And they're like, that is the most amazing thing ever. And it really is just formatting it in a formula and then using this rollup functionality to drive how it's written out. So um, definitely helpful to just, again, formalize how you want the inputs to maximize the outputs. Very cool. Maybe what's your experience been just working with nonprofits in general? How has Airtable helped or impacted those? Um, it's helped a lot. I'm um, especially as like, like these are these organizations that are doing great things and it's either a lot of distributed teams working in different locations at different times, or they're very small grassroots and they're doing a lot of things. Um, I've worked with, um, uh, hood huggers um, in their North Carolina, and they do some great things with community gardens and helping underprivileged, you know, underprivileged youth and things like that. So there's doing so much with a very small team, and using forms like we use onto air forms just so the youth can check in for their um, their work times and so forth. So it's really helpful because now we don't have to go in a job form and like recreate the form each time. They can just change the fields in Airtable, and now it's you know updated on the form and things like that. So it's really helpful to be able to get information so that they can run their organizations in a more effective manner, but also like be able to spend more time working with people because they have the structure behind it to make sure that they have everything that they need to do what they have to do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's good stuff. Very applicable to all, to all use cases. So not just nonprofits. All right, Camille. Let's get nerdy. Yay. <laughs> Character sheets for TTRPG. Am I sharing my screen? Yep. Yep. Okay. So there is a new tabletop role-playing game called Candela Obscura that just got released recently. And I was looking through the rule set and it seemed simple enough that I wondered, can I build this into an app? just because I wanted a, a side project to work on. So here is an example of uh, a character sheet. So every character is gonna have a name and here are all of their skills and you fill in these dots for how good you are at moving or things like that. And then you have essentially your health or these uh, three batches of three stripes over here. And there's a bunch of stuff on this sheet that the idea is when you play, you print it out and then fill in these different marks with a pencil and then erase them as you take a point of damage or fill it back in as you heal. Um, but, you know, what if this were an app? Why not? Um, so I started by creating a quick prototype in um, Airtable, of course, and I was able to get it pretty quickly. Um, there's, you can see I have a handful of tables up top. The most interesting piece of it, I think, is probably this field here. Um, there is a concept in the game that you as a group you have 24 points. And once you get to point 
seven, you get some kind of reward. And if you get to point 14, you get some other reward. Point 21, some other reward. And then there's three more points after that. I wanted um, some like visual indicator of that progress as you go. And so this is a somewhat complicated formula. Um, you could see all the substitutes that are happening um, where I'm taking really all of that. I thought it would be worse, actually. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah. I It took some time to get this to work exactly how I want it. And, um, you know, we, we've shown on the podcast before things like, um, you know, this is basically the same thing, but simpler. It's basically just a rating um, where if I took a point off, it, this one would be gray versus all yellow. But this one, because it was so complex, the, the output, we've reached the seventh thing and now it's a goal. And then if I were to really quickly, um, if I were really, really quickly, and I say quickly, it's not gonna be quick because there's gonna be um, some, some problems. There's gonna be an automation that's supposed to run that like creates a bunch of keys in order to generate all of the possible points that you can get. It sounds more complex than it actually is to play the game. It's more complex when you're building it into an app. But looking at this formula again, I'm saying how many points do we have all right, repeat the character F however many times I have that, um, I have those points. Um, and then I wanna create some empty circles for the ones that I haven't achieved yet. Repeat that in intervals of six and then repeat one um, special point like this square here. This is a milestone that I haven't reached yet. So I'm grouping points of seven where the seventh point is special three times. And then at the end of the, the formula, I'm only taking the portion of unused points. I'm taking away like the placeholders for the ones that I've actually achieved. I don't think that made any sense. Did that make sense to you guys? It does, but my brain hurts thinking about building that for me. Yeah, it's this. <laughs> it's it's a long and complicated thing, and the, the reason why I made made this project is for things like this, where like you go back to the character sheet that isn't actually on this one; it's on a different one. But it in real life, this is so simple, right? You just fill in a, a, a dot on, on a page and then you erase it when it goes away. That's really, really simple. But I wanted to try and do it programmatically. And then this is what you get eventually once you deal with all the formulas. And then I put it into, you know, a character sheet. You have it laid out a particular way. Here's that same thing again, but now we're on an interface. And then each character has their own sheet. And here's where I started to run into problems. You'll see move strike control are the same things as move strike control over here. You can see that the maximum number of circles I have is three, but this one, I don't know if you guys can see is kind of like 
uh, it has a thicker outline. That means when you start as this character, you only have one move, you have one strike, you have two hide because these two are, are darker. The problem I was running into is I wanted it to look like the character sheet, including this sort of diamond symbol, which sometimes is filled in and sometimes isn't. I can't really do that well in Airtable or Airtable interfaces. I have a rating field that I can control this formula output, but I had no real good way of controlling this sort of diamond thing off to the side. And that's where I started to think, can I build this again somewhere else? And so I did. This is now Glide where the data source is that same Airtable base. So we look I think better, I think this is a, a cleaner layout um, than what I'm capable of doing in um, Airtable, but I can like control some of these other dots. But the problem with Glide is I don't have the particular plan that makes um, record updates immediate. So I just clicked this minus button and it's gonna take forever for this to go from two dots to one dot. Then I thought, can I build it again somewhere else? And then I did. So um, I've been saying that I wanted to try out Xana for, for some time now. This was the project I decided to give it a go with. Xano is um, an API builder and um, a database that um, I was able to create an instance of in order to design it again in WeWeb, which is like Webflow, but more like programmatic. And so all of that to say, I now can go um, and look at this version of effectively the same data, except now this looks even closer. The layout is instead of vertical, I made it horizontal, but that was a you know, a design choice. But the reason why I like this one the best is because all of these now are buttons. I can click directly on this diamond shape and it controls that value. And then the same thing with all of these dots up here. Whereas back in the Airtable version, I had no way of making this clickable. This would have to be like a separate checkbox but there's nine of these. There's these three, these three, and these three. And I didn't want nine checkboxes in addition to nine rating fields, in addition to all the other fields. It seemed really complex. So this is probably going to be how I spend my spare time for some time, just trying to figure out what is the best way to recreate this thing digitally. And so far, it's been hard. <laughs> it's cool, though. Yeah. Xano, cool. yeah, so I'll show really quickly um, what I like most about how I figured it out in Xano. If I go look at my base and look at my character sheet, I have a whole lot of fields. And you have multiple things called drives. Each, uh, each character has a different maximum number of drives per drive, and then how many they have available. 
That sounds really confusing. Um, and it's hard to keep track of in Airtable because each of those has to be a separate field. But in Xano, they have a field type for a structured object. So if I look at drives, I have the three buckets that they're under and each bucket can have a maximum and available and a resistance. And this is different per character. It's structured in like a JSON format so that I can have one field for drives and then just iterate through those versus having, you know, I think I have like five. No, I have four fields per drive. And that's annoying. And one of them is a formula that just outputs it prettily. Excellent. Very cool. And WeWeb, so WeWeb talks to Xano, just like a Postgres database. Yes, it also can, um, It a native data source is Airtable. So at the end of the day, I could build this exact thing using Airtable as the data source still in WeWeb, but I wanted to try out Xano and I do really like the option of having a structured um, JSON field uh, type in Xano. I wish Airtable kind of had um, either a structured data type uh, field type or like plain JSON as a field type because I use it all the time. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We'll see how it ends up. You'll need to uh, show the company behind that game what you're working on. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get it into a point where it's like, hey, people, you should use this in your actual games. Um, I want to get it to a point where it's fully functional. And it is at this point, anything, everything you see on this page works. Um, but like, you know, with any game, there's so many like, I don't want to have to put in all of the rules as like automations, like, oh, when you reach this milestone, this thing happens. I don't want to program that. I just want to make like any circle you can fill in. I want it fill in a bowl and that's it. That's where I want to stop. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. Thank you, Camille, for sharing that. Let's move on. Quick shout out to join our community at builtonair.com slash join. That will get you into our Slack community of thousands of Airtable users and fans and people just like you. So join us. We'd love to have you participate and also subscribe to our podcast on YouTube. We're trying to get that um, subscription count up or on your podcast listener as well. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast. <laughs> Let's move on. We're going to finish up with an audience question. This question came from Jason G in the Built on Air community, and it involves scripting. And Jason G says, in scripting, if I call view.selectRecordAsync, but one of the record IDs is not in that view, will the entire call fail, or will it still return the rest of the records? If you don't know the answer to this, what is your guess? <laughs> If you know the answer, don't 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 say. I don't know the answer. I feel like if one is missing, I don't know if I would want that to be an error. I think I would. Well, do I want to know <laughs> that it wasn't in? I don't know. I don't. I would know. throw an error handler just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Put it in a try patch. 
All right, let's find out. I wasn't sure either. My guess initially was that it would air out. That was my guess. Mm -hmm. That it would throw an error saying invalid record IDs. So let's take a look. So I've just got a simple um, table. This is just called documents. That's what it was called. Um, and I've got four um, items here. This one I don't need. Um, and so in this view, I'm showing all of them. And um, I've got all my record IDs here exposed. And then in this view, I'm hiding two of them. So, so A and C are showing. So what we're going to do over here. So I've got um, my, my, my variables for this is the table ID. Here's the view ID for the view that lists all of them. And then here's the view ID for the one that just lists two of them. And then right here, here's the list of all of the record IDs. So I get my um, table from the base. So here's, here's a reference to the table. And then here's the reference to the view that we're gonna use. And then here's the command for, um, for selecting the records async. And when I was writing this, I could have sworn, it, did this change? Maybe Camille, you know, um, I thought that there was one parameter for the record IDs and then, and then a second parameter for your options. And maybe, maybe I'm just making that up, but now it's changed to where you pass the record IDs in as part of the, the object. I don't recall that being the case. Um, anytime I've used record IDs, which I didn't use for quite some time, uh, but I've been using it more and more recently, it's been a parameter of the options object. The object. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I was just hallucinating that. Um, but anyway, so this is how you get the record IDs. And then this is a quick shortcut to get all the fields so it doesn't complain about not specifying the, uh, the field parameters. You just get them all from the table. Um, and so, and then I'm just, just outputting them to see what it is. So this one, I'm gonna run it first with, all, with the view that has all of them. So this one, as you expect, should um, return all of them because all of those fields are in there. So we see we get all four back with all four records. So now if we change this view to be the view sum, we'll find out if it's gonna throw an error, gonna return them all, or maybe it just ignores it. Maybe it says, uh, if you're asking for all the record IDs, then I'm gonna give you all of them regardless of what the view has filtered. So those are probably the, the three options that it could do. And it returns no error and it just gives you the two that are in that view. So it actually, ignores the other two that you're asking for. So the filter so, is what, what decides not the um, record IDs being specified. Yep. So it, it basically, so this record IDs, it says return us all record IDs that exist in this view. What about if you only wanted to see one of the record IDs in that view? Um, then you would need to specify that in your list here. And so, so it would only return to... one? Yeah. Yeah, if you did this, then it would just okay. return that one. Yeah. So now, the question is, but... question is, if the record ID was invalid, then it just returns empty. So basically, okay. treats, 
those unknown record IDs as invalid. So if you pass in an invalid record ID, it's not going to throw an error. It's going to just assume that that. It, it's a search exist. effectively. It's like how many results match your query. In this case, it's record ID equals this or is one of these. And if none of them match it, then to Airtable, I guess that's not an error. It's just none match. Yep. So you do that if you're trying to see of all of these records, which one of them fits this criteria, which is the, the filtered view. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if, yeah, under the hood, it might be converting this to a, um, a filter um, or a select uh, filter formula. Mm -hmm. And it might be saying if record ID equals this or if it equals the others. That's what we do a lot with when you use the API, it doesn't have this where you can pass in um, record IDs to the API. You can do a single one where you just pass in the single record to get that. But if you are saying return multiple, um, like specific record IDs, then you have to use like the or and you say record ID equals A or record ID equals B. And so in that scenario, it would work the same. So I wonder if it's, that's what it's doing under the hood. <clears throat> so that is good to know. We've solved that mystery. So I'll reply back to Jason G and let him know that uh, mystery is solved. <clears throat> Yay. Uh, we did it. All right. And that concludes the season. So we will be back in uh, four to five weeks at the beginning of um, July. So probably after the 4th of July, um, maybe we'll start a week later, but uh, excited to see what comes out in the next couple weeks while we're off. And thank you all for joining and we will see you next time. Absolutely. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>